we're right in the middle of the series on uh, life in Christ. And we're right in the middle of the series on uh, life in Christ. And, and um, I'm, you know, it's been so blessed. And I don't know if you've been blessed or not by our time in the Word together. Uh, just really spending time in one passage, one, one book of the Bible, and uh, kind of just going through it. And it's just been a huge blessing uh, to me to journey in that way, and I hope it's been the same for you. I hope that in your, in your private time, you're uh, reading the Word of, your, of yourself, that you're getting together with friends and studying the Word on a regular basis, other than just our time here on Sunday mornings. Um, it's so important. It's, it's such a difference maker in the life of a disciple to know what God says. I tell you, the whole world is ready to tell us what we ought to believe or ought to do or ought to think, and uh, it's so worth it to get into the Word and see what God has to say about the way things ought to be, the way things he would like to be, the way he'd like them to be in your life. And that's not, that's not me telling you what you ought to see in here. I'm, I'm encouraging you to engage in the conversation with God. He is speaking, and he will gladly disciple you to be like his son Jesus. And so that's what we're doing in this series called Life in Christ. And, you know, we've talked about a whole bunch of stuff, loving our brothers, and this is going to be the main theme of 1 John as we've come to realize. But today I wanted to ask a question as we get started. Today's, uh, you'll, if you grabbed an engagement sheet, and I hope that you did, today's uh, title is kind of No Fear, right? And if you're reading the word with us, you'll already know where we're, we're heading this morning. But I, I kind of want to start with a question that I had for you, and that's this. It's a pretty simple one. Is there anything that you're afraid of in life? Yeah? Get some nods. Anything that we're, yeah, you want to share? Anything you're afraid of? Really? That's funny. Is you're afraid of snakes? That's funny you would say that. Good. <laughs> any, any, you know, there's lots of things in life that, that we can be afraid of. And um, yeah, I don't know how rational most of it is, but, but uh, um, I wanted to, I'll show you something here. I wanted to show you. Uh, you've probably seen this guy before. His name is Bear, Bear Grills, I think is how you say that, right? It's a weird spelling there, but uh, check out the video. Sharks, scary. I find them pretty creepy. Okay, camera off now. And in the Desert Island show we did, I did end up diving on top of about a 14-foot tiger shark. I just dived on top, almost right on top of a tiger shark. Which is never that good an idea. You are aware you're really at the mercy of the elements here. feeling of being very disempowered, you know, your survival is not up to yourself, it's down to luck. I found that quite difficult at times. I've actually learned that it's okay to be frightened. Can you hear that? There's definitely something, there's definitely something rattling outside. And I've spent an awful lot of my climbing time terrified every day. Uh, uh, uh. That's okay. I think what matters though is you go for it and you trust your instinct and you have faith. I don't like this at all. I don't like this. God, no. I don't. I just... So I think that guy, about every time he has one of those shows, covers almost all of our fears in one way or the other. You know when I watched him on the over that cliff thing? You know the first thing I think is, he's got a safety wire on him. <laughs> And I think if I was in his spot, right? 
And, and you know, one thing um, that he always reminds me of is like there are things that we maybe ought not to be afraid of. We have an irrational fear of some things in our life, you know. And, uh, and so I was thinking about, when I think about, uh, you know, him and the way he kind of goes into the wild. And, you know, he said, if you caught it, he said, there's definitely something rattling outside. You know, he's in a tent at night, or probably not in a tent at night by himself. And he's like, there's definitely something rattling outside. That's not usually a good sign, right? And uh, I don't know if, if you're like me, I've kind of always been afraid of snakes, too. You know, not, not crazy afraid, but, you know, afraid enough to kill him when I saw him, kind of afraid, you know. And um, I, I want to mention one of the guys, because, you know, with, with um, Bear here, he's kind of the newest incarnation. I'm sure some of you remember Steve Irwin, right? The crocodile hunter, remember him? And uh, he would go and, I, my favorite thing about Steve was he'd always say, like, he would go, this is crazy. And then he would dig, dig in the hole, you know. And I was like talking to TV like, don't go in there, Steve. And if, if any of you um, have been through FP, you know Dave Ramsey, he'll just say, he says a lot of things. But one of the things that Dave Ramsey said in the first time I went through his series is he said, it's like the Steve Irwin cat. You know, he keeps playing with this stuff and eventually it's going to catch up to him. That was right before, actually, Steve lost his life to a stingray. And I'm not saying that in any way, but, you know, they had to change the curriculum and take that one little segment out of that video because, you know, it was kind of true that there was some fear that, um, that Dave Ramsey had for Steve, and many of us did when we watched the show, that, that he didn't seem to have himself. But, but uh, what an encourager to, to... So I thought, you know, I, I wanted to bring something, a, a snake this morning, Linda, to show you, because uh, I thought it'd be fun if we could get over our fears... But it was in this bag. No, I'm just playing. I can't. I really did want to bring a snake. I couldn't find anybody with a snake, and then I almost had one, and it didn't show up. But, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to see how afraid you would be, really. Like, would it be rational? I mean, would you be able to control yourself? You know, when I was studying this idea of fear, we're going to talk about what the Word says about fear today. But whenever I was studying it, it you know, it's a, it's a fight or flight mechanism that God gave us. He, he instilled in us, you know. And it says that things happen, that, that you don't even make a decision when you're afraid. You don't even think rationally when you're afraid. Isn't that crazy to think about? That when you're really afraid, it's not the times you say, boy, that scared me. It's in the moment when you're, you're afraid. And as I was studying it and stuff, and some of you may know this, but um, some of the things that happen to your body is like your muscles tense up, you know, your brain releases adrenaline into your body, your pupils dilate so you can receive more light into your eyes, right? The hairs on your, your arms stand up, right? You ever get those like the goosebumps, you know, you're like, because your body is getting into this place of being prepared to either, either go fisticuffs, you know, to, to fight for your life or to run for your life. And it's this natural instinct that we have in, in us of, be, of fear. And so we have that in our lives. And I was just thinking, you know, what is it that, that drives us? Because many of us think like a snake. I know some people who are afraid of spiders. I know people who are afraid of small spaces, right? People who are afraid of heights and things like that. And so I was digging around. And what do you think the top, the top fear is? Top 10 fears, top one. Really? Speaking in front of people? That's mentioned. Spiders is on the list. Let me see where it's at. I got a list here. Let's see. Oh, spiders, it makes the top ten. I thought it did. Uh, yeah, fear of death. That's in there. Yeah, fear of heights. Fear of heights. Yeah, 
a couple different things. Let me ask you this. Now, that, that was a, there was a guy who went out and he kind of checked around and seen, you know, what people were looking for, fear of what, fear of what. And um, my favorite thing is, is number three was clowns, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which that doesn't seem right, does it? <laughs> Who's afraid of clowns? A lot of people apparently are afraid of clowns, right? Um, fear of intimacy, you know, okay, we'll stop there. But here, here's the thing. What do you think? Now, here's another, this is even more interesting. Someone else, Gallup did a survey, and they asked 13 or 17-year-olds an open-ended question, and the question was this. Thinking about common fears that people have, what would you say you are most afraid of? Now, this is an important study because they didn't tell people what they ought to be. They didn't give them a list and say, prioritize these and, you know, give them ideas. They said, what are you afraid of? To 13 and 17-year-olds in 2005, what do you think, what do you think the kids answered? Fear of rejection? Yeah, that was there. What else? What do you think number one was? See who can get number one. Huh? Parents? No, nope, didn't make the list, surprisingly <laughs> enough. They ought to be afraid. Yeah, made fun of was on the list, but it wasn't number one. <laughs> Could be cell phones. No, didn't make the list. Hmm, no. Yeah, failure is there, but that was number one. Nope. The number one fear in our children, 13 to 17, was terrorist attacks. When they were asked to write something down, more kids voluntarily wrote down terrorist attacks than anything else. We, we, had, we, had, we have this, you know, uh, environment where we are, we are fearful. And, and whether we know it or not, we're telling our kids, be afraid. This never been on a, a, a survey before like that. It's something new for our culture, to be afraid that people are out to kill you, right? That terrorists are going to attack. Number two was spiders. I, ironically, number three was death. People are more afraid of, kids are more afraid of spiders than death. That's, that's makes me wish I had a spider this morning. And then number four is not succeeding, right? So there's all kinds of things. And I just want, you know, if, if, if you say like, there's that little stickers we put on stuff that says, you know, like no fear or whatever. I mean, if there's uh, folks who say that, I mean, we're all afraid of something at some point. We all have that in us, um, that fear mechanism and, uh, and what triggers it. And then some of this is conditional fear, things that we've learned to be afraid of, like, like the terrorist attacks. You know, none of us were afraid of terrorist attacks in 2000. I mean, it, hardly any of us were. But clearly, it's become part of our national consciousness now, that we are mindful. And it changes how we live, and it changes how, uh, how we see others. These fears can rule our life. They can absolutely rule our life. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you to get into the Word with me, and we're going to see what God has to say. This is all going to tie into First uh, John and His love for us. But as we open the Word, I'm going to invite you to pray with me, if you would. Heavenly Father, today we come before you. Your word says um, that uh, you are a mighty God, that you're a holy God, that you're a righteous God, that men are nothing to you. They were inconsequential compared to your majesty, Lord. And, and yet what we've experienced in Jesus Christ is that we can be in your presence and know your love. And so today, Lord, we pray that as we're, we're before your feet and we're so insignificant, Lord, we pray that today, you would have mercy and grace on us and just shower us with your love, that you would grow us to be like him, that your spirit would dwell in our lives in a way that maybe makes us uncomfortable but doesn't terrify us, and that we could learn to follow you every day, that we could learn to walk in the steps of Jesus and be like him in this world. 
We love you and thank you. We know this work isn't uh, possible on our own, and so we trust you to do it in our lives, to guide us through it, Lord. And we just give all things to you. In this time right now, Lord, we open our minds and our hearts to you, and we lay ourselves bare to be, to be who you want us to be. We just thank you so much for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to open the word, and we're going to kind of pick up right where we left off. It's going to be First uh, John. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Yeah, First John 4. We're going to start right in verse 8. And we're going to walk through some stuff quickly and then kind of get to the, the heart of today's text. But I, I don't want to miss any of this stuff. And if you've been reading the word, you'll know that, that this book of First John is so filled with instruction for us. We talked already about how 1 John is written to those who believe in Jesus, that there's an assumption the author makes that you've accepted him, that you know him, that you've been born again, born of Jesus, born of the Spirit. And so all these things that we've been talking about over the last several weeks are um, the realities of Christ in our life. So I just want to kind of start here in, in verse 8 and just read this. Now, you'll remember what Rod talked about last week with loving one another, with, with being genuine before one another and dying to one another, this love that Jesus showed on the cross. And he went right through, but I want to walk through it with you again. In verse 8, it says this, whoever does not love, this is agape, this is, this is a genuine desire for others, genuine well-being for others, wanting that for them. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, this is a little different than what people believed before this, that God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. And this is what the word says, that God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I want to stop right there a minute because we've heard a lot of the reasons that God sent Jesus into the world, right? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. That, that that's why Jesus came, that we would believe and have life in him, right? That we would have eternal life in him. But I want you to see what it says right there. It says that uh, God sent his one and only son so that we might live through him. That we might live in Jesus. And so it's, it's more than just um, he died back there so that we can have forgiveness for our sins and we can go over here. That's true. But he sent his son that you and I might have life. And it doesn't mean life later. And it doesn't mean life after death only. It means we might have life right now. This is what discipleship is about. And this is what I long for personally, and this is what I, I long for for you, and I hope you long for it for yourselves and for one another as well, that you would find life in Christ and that things would never be the same because of Jesus. That we might live is why he came. And, and so I, I just wanted to bring that to our attention because that's going to come up later. I want you to keep that in your mind, that he called, that he came, and he involved himself in our life, that we might live through Jesus, that we might live through him. Picking up in verse 10. Now this is love. Not that we loved God. See, this is about what we've done. But that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The second big thing that John's talking about right here, and this is kind of re redundant stuff that he's already talked about, but that Jesus came as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now we all know this, that, that, that we could not have peace with God without Jesus Christ. And this means that in his act on the cross, in this act of bravery, in this act of heroism on the cross, when Jesus died, he paid for all the sins of the world once and for all. 
Okay? And this is all pretext to what we're going to talk about, this life in Christ. These are all things that, that, that are known and assumed in Jesus. Now, I want to do something real quick with you. Because we said, you know, what are you afraid of? And, and I can tell you for a fact, I know many people are kind of afraid of uh, something, I don't know what you call it, skeletons in the closet. You know, you're afraid. I want to talk to you for a minute. I mean, you're afraid about if people really knew. You're, you're afraid about that one thing that's just not, that's just really bad, that's not going right or whatever. That, that you think that, that this stuff, that, and this is what we create in the church often is this kind of culture where we can't be real. We can't be authentic. We've got to hide stuff from each other. I, I want you to bring to mind any sin that you've committed in your life. Man, I don't know if it was this week or if it was this month or if it was this year, if it was years ago, or if it's something you're talking about right now and maybe tonight or tomorrow. But I want you to bring it to mind. I'm not going to ask you to speak it out. But I want you to know a truth that the gospel proclaims, and that's this, that Jesus died for that sin. That for everything that the enemy would use, for everything that would come up, for the accuser that's going to come to mind, we're going to talk about this in a minute from the word, that Jesus died for that sin, the atoning sacrifice of God to bring, bring peace in your relationship with the maker, your maker. We, we talked before about this whole system that was broken, that was flawed through sin. And, you know, we do it ourselves and we do it often. And yet I want you to know that wherever you are and whatever you're dealing with, the, the gospel truth is that Jesus died for that sin. He died to cover it. He died to bridge the gap. He died to make it right. And this is the gospel of Jesus. I'll do you one better. I want you to think of any sin that someone else has committed. You see, sometimes we can think of our own and we're pretty good at that, but we're also really, really good at thinking of other sin, sins of others, right? <laughs> you go, this is how we live our lives all too often. I might be bad, but I ain't as bad as so-and-so. I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ died for the sins of every man, every woman, and every child. He died for the sins of all. And in that truth and in that gospel message is where we find peace with God. This is where we find the love that God allows us to show to others. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not just my sins. And not just my favorite friend's sins. Jesus died for every single one of them. And what, that's good news. And, and, and here's the thing. It gives us something to share. And then this is the, this is the, the next thing we're going to talk about. I'm just going to read on here in verse 11, right? Verse 10, I'm going to pick up one more time. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, to cover our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, now listen, we ought to love one another. Since God has loved us in this way to pay for our sins, we ought to love one another. The word ought is what sticks out to me here. That we have a choice now in Christ, right? And that this choice is rooted in the love of God. And, and so the truth is that as hard as it may be to receive God's love, it's your choice to receive it. You can receive it. You can just believe that Jesus died for your sins and receive his grace and mercy and receive peace and know it. And, and then the next step in that journey is that we can then forgive others and we can love others because the God 
so loved the world that he gave his only son. And this is the gospel. And this allows us, it says we ought to love one another. So this allows us to choose to love because of God. Our love is rooted in his love for us. So read on with me if you would. Verse 13, or verse 12. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, listen to what it says, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Right? So, so no one has ever seen him, but if we do love one another, if we show this kind of love, the word says his, his love, he lives in us and his love is made complete. Now I want to remind you of something that we, we talked about a few weeks ago. Oh, I don't know where it's at. It might not be here. Hang on one second. All right, we'll move on. It'll, it'll come back up. We're going to talk about it. I want to talk about that broken, those broken circles we talked about before, this alienation from God, because there's a, that last step, and it's this cruciform love that we have in Christ, that our rest- restoration is about our relationship with him, but also our re- restoration to our brothers and sisters. That's what John's been talking about, right? Read with me in verse 13. We know that he, we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. This is Jesus, right? We know we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be savior of the world. Now here's another reason that he came, to be savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. So here's one, here's another thing that I think we can struggle with. I don't know. Just the pressure. You know, one of the fears that was mentioned before was a fear of failure. There's, there's, there's feels, fear that we can't do it. We can't do it all. I know with the summer blast coming up, there's a lot of people just working their, you know, fingers off trying to get it done. And then they wonder, is it really going to work? Is it really going to happen? I mean, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is saving the world. You know, that's a good way to admonish fear, to rebuke fear in our lives. We aren't going to make it. Well, yes, we are, because Jesus is saving the world. We can trust in that. We can trust in him. And I want to point out a few things that it says here about Jesus saving the world. And the first is this, that we see it in our lives. It says, look at what it says in verse 14, and you and I have seen and if you skip that next part about testifying that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world, we know this fact to be true in our own lives. And that's where it kind of starts is, is with the relationship with, with Jesus. That you know that Jesus is saving the world. And then the second thing is that we have something to share with others then, right? That we can show and tell almost, right? That we can tell someone else that this Jesus that we've encountered, that we've experienced, that we know, that we are growing in, is saving the world. And we don't have to say we're going to save the world. We don't have to say that, you know, our summer blast is going to save the world or that, you know, VB, or, uh, I mean, family Bible is going to save the world or even that the church is going to save the world. It's not our job. Our job is to magnify Jesus' name, and he is saving the world. And so in this place, we can have a real, authentic relationship, and we can allow ourselves to, to, be, um, to show one another what's really going on. Picking up in verse 14. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And here's this indwelling, this abiding spirit again, that we are with God. And look at 16, because this is what we miss often. And so we know 
the love that God has for us. In this saving Jesus, in Jesus being our Savior, we know the love that God has for us. We experience it, I would say, repeatedly, God's grace and mercy to us. We know it every day. We know it in every way, and we can trust it, and we can grow in it. We know the love of God first and foremost, right? And then the second thing, I just wanted to point out these few things that are in here. It says, we know, and then we rely on it. It means we just lean upon it. We, we, we need it. And it's not a sign of weakness. Like the verse that came to mind this week for me quite a few times, and not for sermon prep, just for life, is that in our weakness, he is stronger. You know, in those areas that we think, man, that's the worst thing. Uh, that's my, I got no gifts in that area. In those areas, God is most glorified in our lives because it's him. He's working there. And so what all these things do is they leave us without excuse because we have the Savior. I'll tell you another verse that I ran across this week and I was really stunned by it. Jesus asked his disciples this question. He said, when I sent you out with no hat and no tunic, or no tunic and no belt and no money and no staff, did you lack anything? And his disciples, remember, he sent those guys out to preach the word. And he sent them with nothing. And he said, did you lack anything? And their response was one word, nothing. That when Jesus sends us out into the world, we don't lack anything that we need to do what he's calling us to do. Nothing. I mean, it removes all the excuses. There's no cause for fear. And in this place, then, we become reliant on God and we depend on him and we grow in our relationship as we share, as we show and tell others of Jesus who is saving the world. I mean, that is key to me in my mind of what we're called to do as the church. You know, right now, I feel like too many of us uh, churches, I'll say, are propping ourselves up as the Savior. You know, we say, you come to us and we'll fix your problems. You come to us and we'll show you the way. You come to us and we'll put you to work and we'll, sh we'll, we'll get you going. Listen, you, you come to us and we'll show you Jesus because we need him every day. I don't know how you live your life. That's how I live my life. I roll out of bed and I need Jesus. I lay my head down through the night, and when that voice comes, you didn't do enough. You didn't get it done. It's all your, the, the voice that comes back is Jesus saying, I got this. We rely on him for everything. And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. Reading on, again, John says this, God is love. Whoever lives in God, whoever lives in love, lives in God and God in him. So there's just kind of this completion that's happening. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we were like him. And so in this way, I want to read that again because these are, you know, when, when you're rolling through John, it's some thick stuff. It says this, in this way, in what way? In God living, in us living in love and living in God and God in us, in this kind of communal environment where we're trusting and living and learning and sharing about God. In this way, love, this, what we want to do for each other, is made complete among us. It's made complete here. It's made complete now. In this constant dwelling in a relationship of Jesus. So I want to I show you this. The love is made complete. I want to show you what we talked about here before. 
Because this blows me away. And this is what we talked about a while back in the series, right? We talked about this brokenness that man experiences, you know? And, and, um, and then with the cross, that when Jesus came in the cross, and this is the restoration of this, and it gets us out of this cycle of birth, sin, and death, birth, sin, and death, right? But here's the thing, that, that in Jesus, not only is this love, but restoring this relationship, this glory between us and God and bringing, but it also has this, exper- this experience that's this way. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not just that God's restoring us to himself in Jesus, I want to be very clear because this is something that's hard for me. It's hard for me to understand fully that in the cross of Christ, we are often very much comfortable with the idea that, yeah, I get it. Jesus died so I can have peace with God, right? And then we go amongst our lives and we say, oh, Jesus, I thank you that I have peace with you, with God now because of you. And God, I thank you for Jesus because you gave me peace with you. And, and it's me and God, God and me and nothing else. But the truth is, and what the word says, is that if we know God, we know love and we live in love. And what this does is it does this cruciform thing where it begins to restore us with one another over here. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not just this kind of restoration. It's this kind of restoration. It's like this way and that way. It's brothers and sisters. It's real life stuff. And this restoration is complete in that way. It says that in this way, love, agape, is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Listen, because in this world, we are like him. We're like Jesus. Jesus is God. So we begin to look like him. This is what John's been talking about the whole time. And so into this place of of restoration, we hear this next verse. Into this place of this encompassing, completing love of God, the stuff that isn't satisfied to leave you reconciled with God alone, but man to man, woman to woman, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a real kingdom restoration happening amongst the people of God. This is what it says, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. That's a whole lot of stuff right there. That in Jesus, there's no more fear. That we live in this place. And I don't know if you're like me at all, but there there are a lot of stuff that I have irrational fear over. You know, we talked about some of those things earlier. Fear of failure. I mean, what, is the, what are the things, you know, what are the things that, that in your mind, in your heart, you say, that's what I'm really afraid of. That's what I'm, because what the word says here is that there is no fear, no fear in love. It can't live there. In the place of Christ, fear can't exist. Does that make sense? In this place of Jesus' love, fear is driven out, is what the word says, right? Perfect love drives out fear. You know, this is what I'm afraid of. I feel like as a culture, and I'm not just talking about what the kids answered on the survey. I mean, daily life. How many decisions do you or I make based on fear and not love? 
based on a risk assessment, based on a thought that this might not work. I might look like a fool. I might screw up. I might let them down. I might not be good enough. I might not have what I need. And what the word says is that perfect love, and in Christ we have this, perfect love casts out fear. It dries it from our lives. And that is a life-changing thought. Because, you know, we talk, we said it here before, you know, what would the world look like? I always, you know, if, if you really made decisions in your life based on love and not fear, how would it change? How would your life change? If, if you weren't trying to, you know, uh, like a, do some risk assessment, you know, get a, get a, if you just really decided to live a life in Christ, a life of love, irrespective of what's coming next. How would our lives change? The word says fear is based on punishment, right? And that's another way of saying it's based on, why, why do you get punished? Because you screw up. <laughs> you know, you get punished because you fall short. You get punished because you get it wrong. And, and what the word says is that fear is based on punishment, right? But the one, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So not only is there no fear in love, but perfect love drives this fear from our lives. And, and I'm going to kind of share something that I, this thought I had from the word. And it's this, that, you know, we always think that like this is on off switch, you know, that, that you're either living in love or living in fear. That's how I think, you know, and, and I, I, I try to always guard. But I think the truth is that this is more like a continuum in our lives of, of love and fear. And, and we can choose at any one given moment to live in any one given place. Like every interaction we have, every conversation we have, every opportunity we have, every day, we can choose where we're going to exist in the spectrum of God's love for us. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's mutually exclusive. It says that, that the, if you look at this, it says that the absolute, pure, perfect love of Christ there is no fear. This is an absolute position. This is it. And then if you think that through rationally, that means that this place over here, if you're living a life of paranoia or of fear or of, or of just, you know, whatever it is, this kind of compulsive, that this is a place where God's love isn't. That God isn't in it. That God didn't call us to live this way. But, you know, for most of us, it's not that we are able to be here, you know. And most of us, you know, praise God, we aren't here, but we're somewhere in the middle. And we choose to kind of float on this continuum. And sometimes we might find ourselves over here, and, and, that's, and we're like, man, this is good. You know, why? Because you're taking risks. You're believing the gospel, and you're living it out in your lives. And I'm not saying that just for you. For me, that's, that's a great place. You can feel it. You know it's right. You know you're listening to God. The Spirit is compelling you toward that lifestyle that has no fear. And then there's other days where we kind of slide down there and we're closer to the fear side. And you know what? This is kind of topical too. We can be in certain areas of our lives. We'll trust God with the church stuff, but not with the business stuff. We'll trust God with the, the business stuff, but not with the IRS stuff or whatever. You know what I mean? We'll trust God with, with home life, but not with school life. We'll trust God in Bible study, but not having coffee with a friend. 
Do you know what I'm saying? We kind of d- d- float around in the spectrum of love and of fear, but the word says today to us that perfect love drives it out. And so we keep jumping, jumping back and forth in this continuum of life, wondering where the wheel will stop. I would like to say that this is a steady progression toward love. You know, the, we talked in First John about how it ought to all look like it's going this way, but I, I can tell you, there's too much time I spend over here, you know? I wonder what God's response will be if we are to say to our maker, well, God, I didn't think I had what it took. I didn't think I had the right equipment, the gifts, the opportunities. I wonder if that's true or if we're living a life of fear. See, this is a big question in life where we fall in this continuum. Someone mentioned earlier one of the greatest fears we have in life, and that's death. One of the greatest fears. And, and there are all kinds of studies that talk about the fear of death. Here's the truth that I've realized about death. Everybody goes alone. Now, I know that's a terrible thing to say, and you go, wait a minute, we got Jesus. You're right. But not everybody has Jesus. And there are moments in our lives when we're standing around the bed of a loved one. And no matter how much you think you want them to have peace with God, no matter how much you want their heart to be right, the truth is that it doesn't make any difference at all to them. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I find myself standing there and I think, my faith won't save you. My faith won't save you. You want to know why? We care so much at Family Bible that you have a relationship with Jesus that you call your own. Whether you're here in a few years or not, that we want you to know Jesus because you don't know when you're going to be the guy in the bed and it's got to be yours, not the people around you. Don't ask for some high holy prayers are going to make it right. That's your walk. That's your life. And wherever you've lived your life, and this is for now, not for later, if you've been living this life of love and if you begin to look like Jesus and to know Jesus and to experience God and to rely on his love, then in that moment of life, when you're taking your journey with God and there's nobody going with you, you know, one of the great uh, authors, um, um, I'm blanking on his name right now, he wrote um, uh, Mere Christianity, who is this? Yeah, he wrote about his wife's dying. And he said he prayed when his wife, Joy, was dying. It's called Surprised by Joy, the book is. He said he prayed that God would take us at the same time, that God would take us at the same moment so we could join together and his wife, Joy. Now, he's the great theologian, right? His wife, Joy, says, honey, even if God did, we'd go alone. Because it's about our relationship with God. And these things we've talked about in First John are manifestations of his presence in our life. And the perfect love of God drives out fear. If you don't think, if you don't think this way about it, I want you to read again verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us, church, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. 
that we have this ongoing, developing relationship with Jesus that when we stand before our maker, we'll know him. There's no fear in that. That we'll have peace with him. There's no fear in that. But this perfect love drives out fear. Love is defined in four, verse 10 of chapter 4 here. I want to read it to you again. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, the truth of the cross of Jesus is that he chose love, not fear. And if you read the gospel accounts, when Jesus was getting ready to bear the cross, to bear the sins of the world, right? Jesus chose love, not fear. When he faced the sins of all time for eternity, he chose love, not fear. I want to pull up uh, this verse of scripture because it always strikes me. If you, don't, if you don't believe that Jesus was just like you and me in every possible way, but in relationship with the Father, I want you to read this with me. This is Jesus' prayer that he prayed in Gethsemane. And, and it comes right before he is handed over and he knew what was coming. And he says this, Abba, Father, this is like a term of endearment, everything is possible for you. I mean, he doesn't doubt that God can do something. He doesn't doubt that there's, you know, there's a hundred ways or whatever. But he says, and he says, take this cup from me. This is in the gospel of Mark. Yet not what I want, but what you want. This is our Savior. And this is his confession. God, everything is possible for you, but don't do it my way. Do it your way. You see, this is a place of love, not fear. This is a place of trust and of confidence. And you or I might look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane while he's praying to his Father, and he's saying, Father, if you can take this from me, do it. And you and I might say this, because I've said it myself, yeah, well, easy for him, because he's Jesus, and he knows God. And I say, exactly. This is what we're called to do, church. Easy for us. Because we know God. Because we're in relationship with him. And we're following him every day. Easy for us. I'm going to invite you this morning that if you have never believed that, I'm going to invite you to, to believe it with us. And I'm going to ask that we would pray together and uh, just let God move here today, however he sees fit. Father, this morning we come to your word and we're just awestruck by you, by the example that you've given us in Jesus, but more than that, by how he is savior of the world. Father, today we confess in those areas of our lives that we think we're gonna save it, that we think we're gonna be the hero, get on the cross, that that work is done. That seat is taken. And Jesus, we give you all glory and praise for that. We thank you so much for the work you're doing in our lives and the lives of our friends and the lives of our enemies and the lives of everyone around us. And we trust you. And today, Lord, if in our own hearts we're living in fear, 
We ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you remove that from us. That we would be fully your children, fully embraced in your love. And we quit believing the lies that you don't love us. Jesus, we thank you for the work on the cross and we thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit and we pray that every day of our lives would be a manifestation of your presence, that every day we would see you and know you, believe you, and tell others about you. Father, we pray for that life that is found in you only and we ask that in your way and in your time and by your will, you would bring us to that place of perfect love, of completion. We love you so much. You've brought us so far. Give you praise and glory for that. Let's give you all these prayers and all this response time and everything we're going to do today. We bring it to you, Jesus, for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen.